Good morning. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 18. My, my wife reminded me to slow down. Sometimes I get so excited in passages like these and days like these, I, I, I ramble on a thousand miles an hour. Um, taught a lesson. We went to a restaurant the other day and the, the young waitress, she actually spoke faster than I did and I couldn't hear her. <laughs> couldn't tell if the speed was getting that fast or if I was getting that old. So we'll leave that unresolved. It is exciting times, isn't it? Jesus is building his church. He does it in the worst of places, violent places, immoral places. Most difficult of times, what we're studying, conquered countries, political unrest. And Jesus is using different kinds of people. Up to this point, we've seen him use single people. Now he's also going to use married people as well. He used craftsmen, full-time, full-time, full-time employment people, and also full-time workers for the Lord. He uses the very gifted, primary workers you might call them, and he also uses support people too. So let's read in Acts chapter 18, beginning of verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And we're going to hold it there for now. Can we uh, turn on the map there, Jake? It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens. We're going to talk about that a little bit. If we remember correctly, um, Paul was in Athens alone. And we talked about that Roman saying that it's easier to find an idol in Athens than it is to find a man. It was that much given over to idols. And with his Jewish background, and more importantly, as a believer, it just really gripped his heart. And that's where he preached to them about the unknown God they didn't know that they needed to know, which is the true God, the Lord. And so here he was in Athens, okay? And it turned out that uh, Silas and Timothy were up here in Berea. And so he worked his way through Athens, and then he left Athens. Remember what they said in Athens? Some mocked, and, and some believed, and some of them said, oh, we'll hear more of this later. Well, you know what? You don't always have later when it comes to the gospel. Believe it or not, if you're sitting here this morning and you think you have till later, you might not. Your next moment's not guaranteed. So they said, oh, the people here in Athens, the, on Mars Hill, where they always heard some, heard some new doctrine or new philosophy, they said, oh, we'll hear you again later. Paul left. The Lord led him to leave and to go to Corinth. And also Silas and Timothy were on their way from uh, Thessalonica. Berea up here, making their way down to catch up with Paul. We're going to be down here in Corinth, just as a reference. This whole area is called Achaia, that whole island area, and also the bottom part of here, right below Thessaly, would be called Achaia. And also an interesting place that we're talking about today is Pontius, is way over here in the northern part of Turkey, right next to the Black Sea, which is that blue part up there. So in Corinth... You have here, this is what modern-day Greece, and that's Corinth. What you have is this is the Adriatic Sea, and here's Italy and Rome up here, right? And so as it comes down here, you have the Adriatic Sea. On here, you have the Aegean Sea, and in between, you had Corinth, which was just a small little piece of land bridging this island, peninsula really, but almost like an island, to the main part, 
of the mainland, Athens and the rest. And Corinth was destroyed in the second century, about 200 years before what we are reading. And it was left in ruin for about 100 years. It was later restored by Julius Caesar. And he restored it by freeing people from up here in Italy and Rome and coming down and settling in Corinth. And so it was made of self-made freemen, Romans, Greeks, and Jews. But since this is really the shortcut, and they actually had a way of, of taking ships, I would assume smaller ships, and ferrying them across the land, okay, not through water, but, you know, trams or however else, however else, getting through the land, this little piece of land right here, over to the Aegean Sea. So if you're a seaport, which Corinth is right here, there was a seaport on this side called Centria, as you can see there, and another port on the Adriatic side, I don't remember the name of it, it starts with an L, it doesn't come up in the, in the text. Corinth was a, a prosperous place. It was a port city, you could say. It was a double port city, for that matter. And therefore, as it was reestablished by Julius Caesar, and all these people started settling back into it, lots of Romans, lots of Jews, and lots of Greeks all came to this port city. But like a port city, you're going to have sailors. You got sailors, you're going to have other things, like prostitutes, like immorality. It was, a, it was a place known for its sin. A synonym for immorality was basically to Corinthianize. That's how bad this place was. Known for its immorality, on a peninsula, major port. Does that remind you of any place you can think of? Maybe the San Francisco Bay Area, huh? Lots of money here in Corinth. Lots of money. Okay? Things haven't changed much, have they? Go ahead and hit the lights. Could you lead us? Thanks. No, things haven't changed much. And just like it was there in Corinth, where they had the money, they had their sin, people weren't happy the way they were. They weren't happy the way they were. And God was working in their lives waking them up to their need. But let's stop and look at a couple of uh, really, really neat believers. Verse 2. And he, that would be Paul, found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. So Paul's left Athens. The Lord's led him to go to leave Athens by himself. He's moved, he's moved on. And now he meets this couple. You see? That's, that's kind of sad. He's traveling alone and, and now he's working. Why is he working? This, isn't the gospel a full-time occupation? You know? And if you're a Paul, sure it was type of responses that he got and the different situations that he was in. But we're going to see the Lord allowed him to come to this situation where he would have to work. And that was a good thing. Part of it was he meets this really neat couple called Aquila and Priscilla. That was their names. They're from Pontius. Again, that was in the northern part of Turkey. Um, There's a well-known Jewish population in there. On the day of Pentecost, when it talked about 
the Jews from all these different areas were in Jerusalem, one of the areas they were from was Pontius. Way up there, they were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And remember, lots of people got saved on the day of Pentecost. Maybe, we don't know for sure, because it's not stated in the scripture, maybe Aquila and Priscilla were part of the fruit of that ministry. Maybe someone took the gospel back up to Pontius and they got saved. But then they were also moved, they had also moved to Rome. You have to figure from Pentecost to this time is about 12 to 15 years difference. But also they were in Rome and they were kicked out of Rome by Claudius Caesar. He wanted all the Jews out of Rome. You see? And at this point, Christianity was considered a sect of the Jews. And we see Paul finding them, you know, really, the Lord brought them together, didn't he? He needed some encouragement. And this situation kind of reminds me of a barber. You ever go to a barber shop and there's four or five chairs and there's two guys working. All of a sudden you go there a couple weeks later and there's a new guy. Well, he rents out the chair and he works the chair, right? They were tent makers together. So he took up a slot of tent making in their tent making shop there in Corinth. You see? And it doesn't say when they became a believer. I tend to think they were believers before now. Um, because it, usually we're introduced to the fact that they're saved, they become saved when uh, Paul comes across them, if that's indeed when they do become saved. But we're going to see these precious believers, they devoted their lives to Christ. And we're going to take a little tour of their lives in Scripture. But anyway, let's go on. Verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city... And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. We see from this passage that Paul is a tent maker to pay the bills, but his passion was to preach Christ. Every, every Sabbath, he was in the synagogue, persuading the Jews, persuading to induce by words to believe. You could, you could just hear, hear him taking the scriptures and going through the Messianic prophecies one by one and showing how Jesus filled them all and no one else could. And he's appealing with them day in, day out. At first, it was only every Sabbath. I think you got what happened here. And says he was compelled by the Spirit when Silas and Timothy came. We, we know from the rest of Scripture that Silas and Timothy brought a gift. We also know in Corinthians that Paul said, when I was with you, when he goes back and he writes back to the Corinthians after he leaves, he said, I wasn't a burden to anybody. 
You see, people were coming behind Paul and saying, oh, he's just a freeloader. He's taking your money. He said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I work with my own hands. I didn't ask money from anybody. As a matter of fact, when I wasn't working with my own hands, it was the gift from Macedonia that they brought. And I wasn't a burden to anybody. You see? God allowed him to find work, to find co-workers who are going to be great co-workers in Aquila and Priscilla, and to have justification later for what was going to happen when these people were going to blame him for being a freeloader, you see? You think, well, why is the Lord having this situation? Where's, where's the funds? Oh, I guess i got to get a job. It's exactly what the Lord wanted to have happen. Paul didn't know it then, but God worked it out for good. I think also it could be talking about here, compelled by the Spirit. You know what? When your co-workers finally show up and you haven't seen them in a while, you just get encouraged, don't you? When you saw folks along the street, you were gone a little while, you didn't see other people from the, from the chapel and you saw them, weren't you just encouraged? You didn't have to talk, you just wave at them, right? And keep, keep going on. It just encourages you to go on for the Lord. As we look at the, the opposition in verse 6, it says, it talks about the Jews who were dead set against him. They opposed him and blasphemed. You know, they were just set up. They just weren't going to believe. You know, there comes a point when you're talking to someone, you know what, if they're just not going to believe, you just, you should just stop. It's not being, it's not being fruitful for anybody. That's all you can do. I know it's a sad thing. I know you realize where they're going. But nothing else can be done at that point. And oftentimes, they're just hardening their hearts after that. So it's better to do as Paul does here. He tells them, look, I've told you the truth. God spoke to Ezekiel about this, about being a watchman. If you know that the judgment's coming, and you don't tell the people, they'll die in their sins. But Ezekiel, I'll hold it. I'll hold you accountable. You're the watchman. But if you tell them and they won't listen, they die in their sins, but their blood is not on your hands. You see, I think Paul was borrowing from that exactly, specifically. And that's what we do. We just share with people. We knock on the door. Hi. You know? And if they would be open to God's promptings in their heart, because I believe for every door that was knocked on this morning, God was preparing the hearts of people. The infinite, omniscient God knew exactly which doors you were going to knock on. Say, well, some of them weren't home. Okay, God can use that too. You were out doing whatever. I had people knocking at your door. And you were too busy doing blank. You see? And the people you spoke to, just a smile, just a hi. God can use that in their lives. Uh, I don't even like to think about the words that these Jews probably used when it says they blasphemed. Because I'm sure they didn't say anything against Jehovah. It was probably using the name of the Lord Jesus in very bad ways. But, as we've seen all along, there's always those, those diamonds, those jewels that God has in the midst of, of, the, of the excavation there. We have justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue perfect you see he wasn't at the synagogue but his house was right next door and then crispus the ruler of the synagogue here was a guy you know how many arguments he probably heard and how many 
bad situations with these people, the rest of these Jews who did not believe in God and the pseudo-religion that was going on. I wonder how many years he put up with that, wanting the fulfillment of the truth, wanting to know the Messiah, wanting to be free from his sin. And here he is. He, he found it. Him and his whole household. They believed on the Lord. And, and says also in verse 8, many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. Praise the Lord. Remember what we were talking about. This is Corinth. This is bad news central. Okay? So we're liking this to, to the Paris of, of uh, ancient civilization back then. Or, or just think of a bad place. This was it. You see? But what is too hard for God? You ever challenge yourself with that? I think of people, I think of family members. I think of my brother. He's a sergeant in the Fremont Police. Went to him years ago after coming back from Papua New Guinea. Had a had this chronological teaching here. I could show you what the Bible says. You can understand. You can know how to have peace with God without missing a beat. He said, no thanks. We're happy the way we are. Which is the exact opposite of what you were hearing in Papua New Guinea. What you would hear there from the tribal people. I'm challenged to think of my brother sitting in that chair, standing up, and sharing at the breaking of bread. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Even in Corinth, the hearing, believing, and being baptized. Praise the Lord. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Paul's dealing with the discipline issue and he wants to get things straight. And so people are being a little bit um, deceived. Uh, They're not seeing things properly. So he says in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. There you go. It's unequivocal. You want to know who's not going to heaven? Those people. That's a practice of your life. You're not going to heaven. Don't be deceived. Paul says, don't you know that? You see? And here's what he says to the Corinthians and to us today. And such were some of you. I like that. I like that word were. You like that word this morning? And such were some of you. What happened? But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Hmm? I appreciate that. I was talking to a brother uh, last week and this week about going out, and I appreciate everybody who went out because just like Don said, you never know who you're going to meet. You never you know who you're going to meet. How many times have the shortcuts gone around the neighborhood and they find Portuguese-speaking people? And not just Portuguese-speaking people, Portuguese-speaking people from Brazil. You know? And then like Don mentioned with Lita, you know, here's his, I'm sorry, but usually Filipinos are about this tall, right? And they're looking at Don like this, you know? 
looks right through him, you know, probably right, right past his arm, and sees we eat a gutter. It's just a welcoming sight. You see? You see people, and each believer, when they go, wow, you're probably going to find someone who's got a very similar background to you. That's why God's got you mobilized. That's why God's working in your life, because what he's done in your life, as it says there in verse 11, that's what he wants to do in their life. And you're the living testimony of God doing that. No better, no better testimony than a living example. I like here in uh, verse 9. The Lord spoke to Paul in the, in, the, in the night by a vision. This doesn't always happen. I don't believe Paul had visions all the time by the Lord. We're going to see later he says, Lord willing. Why does he say Lord willing? Doesn't he know what the Lord's will is? Not every time. Not all the time. Verse 9. The Lord says to him, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. You see? Why does it say, do not be afraid? I think Paul might have been a little fearful. Come on, let's get a half dozen of us, and let's just go marching down the middle of San Francisco and preach you know, repentance from sin and, and belief in the gospel. You know? You might be a little fearful, right? The Lord says, don't be fearful. Do not be afraid. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you because I have many people in this city. I love that. See, the Lord's already preparing the hearts. See? That's what I want to do. I want to be so in tune with the Lord. The Lord says, go over here. That gets me excited. So when he says go over there, I think he's working over there. He's working in people's hearts. That's exciting. You know? Left to ourselves, what are we like? We like to settle in and, you know, got the garage full of stuff and the shed that needs cleaning and the yard that needs work. And that's what all, those things are all true. But sometimes we focus on those things instead of just maintaining those things and seeing where the Lord's going. You see? Do not be afraid. And he says, for I have, I have many people in this city. Now, I want you guys to remember that phrase when we go through, go through First and Second Corinthians. Because you're, you're going to be looking at that epistle going, are any of these guys believers? You know? So much stuff that they struggle with. Some of it really bad. But if we're, if we're honest, we have the same ability in our own hearts, don't we? You see? And it speaks to me about the graciousness of the Lord. Even though he knows what they're going to be like, he says, they're my people. He owns up to them. Okay, verse 12. When Gaiu, excuse me, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I, why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio 
took no notice of these things. Here it is, opposition. If you get some opposition, maybe it's physical opposition. Maybe it's a door slammed in your face. I'm trying to think of the opposition we've had the last three weeks as we're trying to prepare to speak and minister different things. We've had fairly severe diagnosis of a, of a child's ailment. We've had uh, an ant infestation. Uh, wash machine broke Thursday night. You've had wash machine break and you really don't have time to tend to it right then and there. It makes it real interesting, doesn't it? Especially for a family of seven. It's real interesting, you know? So in a real crazy way, I get kind of encouraged when I see opposition. Stacy and I got to the point, we just kind of had this little hysterical little laugh that we let out, you know, what's going to happen next, you know? And I'll be, I'll be very honest with you, sensitive saints who happen to catch word of it, um, we're right there, right there. And I won't, I won't uh, spill the beans who they are. Their, the, their reward is no doubt with the Lord. But um, we appreciate you. But it's opposition. We hope it's because the Lord's doing encouraging things in us and through us and at the chapel. This, this uh, Gallio, this proconsul, he was actually a brother uh, to a well-known uh, uh, person named Seneca, who was a philosopher. This guy was close, actually, he was, his brother was Nero's tutor. So he's kind of up there in the politics in Rome. And it, also we find out which he was here in about 51 to 53 AD. That's how we know about how old and what time it was when, when Paul was here. It's also known as being a good man, mild-tempered. So he sees through this accusation. See, the Jews say, oh, he's doing something contrary to the law. <laughs> you know, and Paul's about to step up and take care of it, right? He's got his whole defense all worked out, right? Galileo just probably just puts his hand towards this, you know, don't worry about this, I got this. The law, Jews? What law? I don't see anything wrong with what he's doing. There's no evil that he's doing. When the gospel is believed, what happens? Good things happen in society. Things become better. Things become improved. I think Galileo saw, saw through this. And he said, look, if this is a personal thing, you and your law, you go handle it. But I don't see any crimes or any wrongdoings going on here. He was smart. He didn't want to get involved in the religious matters of the people who were subject to him. The smart ruler. And unlike Pilate, he had no need to put up with anybody or impress anybody. But most of all, I like the fact that here you are, you're brought before the government authorities. And let's be honest, if it was you, if it was me, I'd be scared. We want to hear about what it means to believe in Christ. You're going to answer for it. Okay? You believe in Christ? We're going to take you to the governor and see what he thinks. Okay, he's no Christian. You'd be, you'd be a little bit afraid, right? I like this. The Lord just says, Whoosh, and he wipes it all away. What did he promise? No one is going to hurt you. No one's going to attack you to hurt you. They're going to attack, but they're not going to get to you. You see? I couldn't help but be reminded of, of Don's story that he shared not too long ago in his situation. Having to go before a judge, being accused of wrongdoing. Did you ever even get a word out, Don? No, he didn't have to defend himself at all. The judge just said, okay, let me understand this. So this is what he's done and everything like this and you want this to happen to him, and all he's done is shown you love and concern? 
I, I think he's fine. I think you have a problem. You know? That's the Lord. That's the Lord. Clearing the path. You see? I think that's the Lord in answer to prayer. I think that's the Lord in working in, in, in people's lives as they're following him. So what's the reaction? <laughs> it totally backfired. The Greeks get upset. And then they attack the Jews. Thankfully, Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, he got out of the way and became a believer. This poor new guy, Sosthenes, he gets beat up. It totally backfired. Actually, there's a Sosthenes mentioned in 1 Corinthians as a believer. I think it's 1 Corinthians. 1 or 2 Corinthians. Maybe this beating, maybe it helped get him saved. You see? It's just crazy not to be on the Lord's side. It really is. He always wins. Okay, verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. Is it earlier that Paul was in Corinth for 18 months? It seemed like he's in Corinth for 18 months up to that point. Then there's the situation in front of uh, Gallio, and now he's there even longer. So it seems like it was longer than 18 months. And he, and he took leave of the brethren there, the believers there in Corinth. But here I'd like to, like to point out Priscilla and Aquila. Anybody catch anything different there than when they were first mentioned? What, what's different? Priscilla's mentioned first, that's right. Well, why is Priscilla mentioned first? You know, that's a dynamic I haven't ever gotten used to. I've been married coming up on 10 years now. And if you talk to the woman, they always say the wife's name first. So I was, oh yeah, Stacy and Charlie. You know, I always have to do kind of a double take. I'm used to talking to the guys. And they say Charlie and Stacy, right? I guess it's just a social thing. just a custom thing. Well, I did a word search. Do you know, and Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times. Do you know how many times one's mentioned over the other? It's exactly half. And I tried to find a, a commonality. Maybe someone here smarter than me and, and uh, more uh, in tune uh, can tell me, but I didn't find why there was the difference. But it speaks to me the fact that, you know what? She wasn't just tagging along. She was effective. She was an effective part of the ministry. They were effective wherever they wherever they were. They started here in Corinth, and then when it was time to go, they just got up and left. They went with Paul. They moved to Ephesus. They're going to see in the next chapter, the rest of the chapter, they end up helping Apollos in Ephesus. Later on, they go to Rome. And then later on, they're back to Ephesus. So there's at least three moves there that we see covering a good part of the known world there, a lot of traffic, a lot of politics, 
I think most importantly, a lot of spiritual work. I think what they did most effectively is they went and sat baby churches. They went and babysat newborn churches. Let's turn to Romans 16, verse, verses 3 and 4. Is anyone here? Raise your hand if you've heard of this exp- expression. They risk their necks for you. Do you know where it came from? You know what came from the Bible? Michael, could you read verses 3 and 4 for us in Romans 16? Okay, good, thanks. There it is. I didn't know where it came from. I have a feeling it probably came from that. It came from the Bible. What does that mean? Well, sometimes that meant literally, you know, the gallows getting hung. If they were caught doing what they were doing in certain cities, they could have got hung for it. They could have got killed. And do you see who thanks them? Greet who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. They were effective in Rome, in Ephesus, in Corinth. This is an effective couple. You see? They were serving the Lord. They were committed. <laughs> They're risking their own lives. Okay. Could you, could you get that uh, back on, Jake? Is that possible? Let me get it warmed up a little bit. Probably needs to warm up a little bit. We'd like to look at the map and see where we're going from here. Because Paul is going to leave and head back towards Antioch. But he's going to make a little detour first. Remember when Paul was first going on his, his journey? Remember he came through here and he, he ministered to the, the first churches that, that were started. And God wouldn't let him go to Asia or Bithynia. But had a Macedonian call, vision, to go over here. That's where he's been ever since. But he's on his way back home here to Antioch. And um, you see, he, starts, he stops here in Ephesus, okay? And this is where we have the, the last part of this section that we're reading. It says, in Centria, he took a vow, and then he uh, sailed to Ephesus, where he left Aquila and Priscilla, and he himself went into the synagogue. And his goal was to be down here in Jerusalem, hit this area, and be in Jerusalem for the feast. And I'm not actually sure he ever made that feast, but that, I know that was his desire. Okay, thanks, Lita. Thanks, Jake. The Lord said, don't go to Asia. Don't go to Bithynia. Go to Macedonia. Now that he's done that, he comes back through Asia, and he doesn't stay very long. You see? You think, oh, I wonder why that is. Well, it's interesting. We're going to see somebody, Apollos. And he's an eloquent man, strong in the spirit, and he's doing a great job, and he only knows the baptism of John. You see? Paul leaves. Aquila and Priscilla hear him, Apollos, speaking in the synagogue, and they say, by the way, there's a little bit more going on than just John the Baptist. Let me tell you. And they talk to him about Jesus. They're talking about he's here. The lamb is here. The Lord is here. And the fulfillment 
of all that John talked about. You see, what a pivotal point. I think to run out of cash going into Corinth and need to get a job, pick up Aquila and Priscilla, and then take them across to Ephesus. You sail on. God uses them to talk to Apollos, and he ministers not only in Ephesus, but over, goes back over to Corinth. That's exciting. That's serving God. Working all the pieces together. I wonder, in all the houses that the doors were knocked on today, what number in the puzzle that God's putting together in those people's lives that each one of you were? Maybe you were the first piece. Maybe they didn't know the first thing about God. But it was interesting. And these people were nice. Maybe it was the last piece, like that man on the way to the emergency ward. Maybe someone being snatched from the jaws of not just death, but second death before he leaves this world. God's working it all together because he cares. We don't see it. I think sometimes we just flat out forget about it. But he's doing it. He's working. He's working all of this together. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church. And I don't believe the Lord would have us down here provide for us the way he has and not be working in this area. And I, I believe that not only for this area, I think of some of the area, other areas. I think of how the Lord's led people, whether it be here, where we were, Dublin, Brentwood. Where's the Lord leading? Where's the Lord working? And how can we get involved? We've had some good examples today. Silas and Timothy, they weren't the main workers, but you know what? They brought a gift and they freed up Paul to serve full time. We have Aquila and Priscilla, a married couple. You know, they were just working their job, making tents. And God used them and moved them around because they were flexible. And they were just, they were their parents. They were the, the caretakers of young churches. What about us today? How's the Lord want to use us? I think today was a first, a great first step. It's going to be exciting to see how the Lord wants to use us going from here. Now, I'll tell you right now, I don't know of any Apostle Pauls here in the fellowship. I know I'm not. I know other brothers who are very gifted. But you know what? If, if, if we don't have those gifts, we can free up people who do. We can do support jobs. So you know what? I'll take care of that. Why don't you go knock on some more doors? Tell you what, I can't make it out today, but I'm going to be praying for you. When you come back, I want to hear how it went so I can pray more effectively for you when you get back or when you go out the next time. Think of this married couple. I tell you, Aquila and Priscilla are examples to me. Can you think of a more effective married couple serving God? Wow. They worked together. They had to both be spiritually minded Working through the issues of everyday life, you know, through the job. You got contacts there. Your neighbors, you got contacts there. You know, the fence falls down. And he thinks it's your fault. Well, of course it's your fault, right? Well, if you can, pay for it. Cost of the fence versus the cost of a soul. Who knows? Who knows what the Lord might use? What's the key here? I think the key is being linked up to the Lord Jesus. I like what it was said about the early apostles. You know what was said about them? 
Jesus was gone. He was taken up into heaven. The apostles are serving the Lord. They're filled with the Spirit. And the Jews don't know the difference about that. They just take them aside and start interrogating them. And after they were done talking to the apostles, they said, yeah, we can tell these guys have been with Jesus. That should be what should be said about us, the Calvary Bible Chapel in 2007, on a daily basis. Wow, these people are different. You can see something different about them. They've been with Jesus. With him in his word and prayer, and fellowship and commitment, properly linked to him. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for allowing us to look into your word and see you, Lord Jesus, building your church. And Lord, I'm comforted by the fact that you use imperfect vessels, that this treasure is kept in clay vessels, such as the Apostle Paul, Silas, Timothy, Aquila, Priscilla, and us, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to go out and, and knock on doors and greet people and, and be right there at the right time that you wanted us to be there. And Lord, we just ask for future use. We ask for future blessing. We believe you've led us, led us here and you've led us to do this because you want to bless. You want to save souls. And you want us to grow and be challenged in our own Christian lives. Lord, the last thing we want to do is to have you come back and we've been distracted with the things of this world that we hadn't been about our Lord's business. Lord, we know you love us. We know you'd accept us anyway. But how much more would we love to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, Enter into the joy of your Lord. Lord, speak to our hearts and bless us for your name's sake. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.